in submission. So Lord, would you use them? Would you give them what they need, every provision physically, emotionally, spiritually? God, would you give them what they need and bless them, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. Can you give it up for them? Walk this down with you. Awesome. Well, the lights are on right now. And if they flicker anymore, you're going to give me grace, right? Right? Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, we're so glad that you are here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Greg. My wife, Amber, and I are the lead pastors here at Zoe. And uh, just excited to share with you. Reminder, next Sunday, as they were saying, small group signups are next Sunday. You don't want to miss out on that. Uh, and also, if you missed last Sunday's message, didn't Amber do an amazing job challenging us last week for Ladies' Day? And so if you missed that message, I talked to, there's been a number of people reaching out to Amber and myself about how transformative that message was for them. If you missed out, I'd encourage you to go online and uh, watch that message. But this morning, uh, I just got to say this before I get in. Sometimes when there's a bunch of junk happening, it's just stupid things. Sometimes when there's a bunch of junk happening, it's because I know the enemy does not want you to hear what I'm about to talk about. And I think that that's this. So I'm just going to ask you to, to stick with me here this morning, okay? Uh, we're going to jump in, back into the series that we've been in. You and me, we're talking about relationships, right? We're digging into this whole concept of relationships. And uh, the principle that we're going to dig into this morning is one of those that's so practical. Like, you're going to walk out of the door this morning knowing, like, here's the checklist. Here's what I should do. But the enemy does not want you to do these things. And when we don't do them, he wins. And it destroys and corrodes everything that we value in life. So I'm going to just tell you, this one matters a whole lot. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse number 15. As you're turning there, just a reminder uh, that we're in our Bible reading plan going through the New Testament. So if you've gotten off at all, you can jump in. Uh, the link is on our homepage of our website or on our app. You can join along with that reading plan. Would you stand with me across the room? As, uh, so we're going to read just a couple of verses here together. Matthew 18, beginning in verse number 15, says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Father, uh, we need you this morning. Clearly, we need you. And so we invite you into this place in a deeper way. God, I'm praying right now for a deep revelation. God, for this practical message that I'm going to speak, I believe that every one of us needs to hear it specifically for circumstances in our life, relationships in our life right now that are going sideways. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us your discernment, your understanding. We'd walk out of this place with something to do. We pray in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Uh, I want to start just for a moment. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to tell them if, if you had all the money in the world and you could buy some fun car that you just really want, what would be that car, all right? Turn to your neighbor. Tell them your dream car, okay? All right, all right, all right. How many of you, 
your dream car would be some sort of a fancy sports car, something like that. Some of you want a sport, that's fine, okay. How many of you like, want like big truck? Like you want like the big old F-150, like Ford, yeah, there you go. How many of you want like a classic car, like an old school, like some classic, some of you want those kind of cars, I get it, some of you want that. When I first met my wife, she told me her dream car was a yellow Mustang, and I'm yet to buy it for her. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll get there or whatever. But, so I've got, I've got some... Uh, we got some friends, they're like family to us that live down in Naples, Florida. And uh, they live in an area and they, uh, every year we're able to kind of go down and visit with them. They, you know, they're just like family, it's awesome, we get to stay with them. Uh, but they have uh, apparently this amazing car show that happens every year. And this past year, it happened to take place at the exact time that we were there. So we got to go to this car show and it was mind boggling. Okay, here's a picture of this car show. This is just the Ferraris, okay? It was ridiculous, guys. There was like seven to 800 cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, like all this, the most expensive cars you could imagine all in this one place. It was crazy. And we kept walking around and my, my kids kept asking me, Dad, which one would you want? I'm like, guys, I don't, I don't want any of these cars. I don't need these cars. But finally I saw one and I took, had him take a picture. Here's the car. I said, guys, so this is a Ferrari, but it's like a normal looking Ferrari, right? It's not one of those really over the top ones. I said, guys, if you become independently wealthy, you're allowed to buy me this car if you'd like to. And, uh, but it, it's funny, but the, but the reality is my kids know something. They know that I would never let them buy me a car like this um, because they know that like, I just don't really care that much about cars. I think cars oftentimes can be a waste of money if they're not doing what you need to do with them. And uh, for me, uh, they know what my favorite car is. You can go to my kids and ask them, what's, what's dad's favorite car? One that's paid for, okay? <laughs> that's my favorite car. When it's paid for, praise the Lord, I don't care. But there's a second thing. It's, I, I like one that, that's paid for, and I like one that just works, right? I don't need it to do anything fancy. Can you just work? Like, when I start you, will you start, please? Like, when I need it, like, I just like something that works. What I love about Scripture here this is that it's not just nice spiritual platitude. It actually works, and when we will heed the wisdom of Scripture and heed the wisdom that Christ tried to bring to us, it actually works in our everyday lives. And that's what we're going to see as we dig into this passage this morning. Uh, the passage we're going to look at is actually a pattern. What we're going to see is a pattern. As you read it, it probably made a little bit of sense to you. As you're going to walk through this, Jesus says, okay, when you get to a certain circumstance, here's what you're going to do. You notice the first line. It says this, what? If your brother or sister sins, all right, if this happens, here's what you do. Jesus is going to be really clear with us. Now, to understand for a second, who is he talking about? When your brother or sister sins, what is he meaning there? The language there is referring to fellow believers, other disciples, those that are within the body of believers. That's who he's talking about specifically. But when you take the principles of this along with the rest of the New Testament, you understand that the principles from this are ones that we can use in every relationship in our lives. I literally have never dropped my sermon notes ever before. <laughs> It is just one of those days, folks. Okay, now you all know I have notes in my, in my Bibles. I literally will talk to people like, how do you memorize your sermons, Greg? I'm like, I don't. <laughs> Here it is, everyone. Okay. So he's talking about to fellow believers, but the principles apply to everyone, to every situation in your life. And so I want to walk through this, and you're gonna, it'll make sense to you really quick, all right? So it begins by saying this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over, all right? You might want to write this pattern down. You might want to take a picture at the end when all four are on the screen, all right? Number one, what do you do when someone sins? Go to them. 
Somebody sins. They sin against you. They frustrate and hurt you in some way. Something toxic happens. What is the first thing you do? Go to them. All right? And if you're able to, what does it say? If they listen to you, you have won them over. Very simple. Okay? We go on in the passage. What does it say next? But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. All right, so somebody sins, or they sin against you, or they hurt you, or they do something, right? First thing you do, you go to them. If they don't respond, number two, what do we do? Bring a second party, and what? Go to them, okay? You're getting a pattern here. You're going to see it. Goes on then. It says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, I'm going to stop there for a second. All right, so you've gone to the person. They have sinned or they've sinned against you or they have hurt you or they have done something toxic. All right, number one, we go to them. Number two, we bring another second party and go to them. Number three, what do we do? Bring a spiritual authority and go to them. Now, what does this mean? So it says, go to the, it says go to the church, Greg. It doesn't say spiritual authority. In that context, what it meant was go to those who are leading, the, the leadership of a church in some way. And, and what I would say is the easiest understanding is going to a spiritual authority, someone who has spiritual authority over you, whether it's a pastor, whether it's another leader, whether it's a lay leader, whatever it is. But the goal is still to go to them, to deal with the circumstance that you're talking about, Okay. Then, after you've done that, you've gone to them. You've brought a second or third person, and you've gone to them. You've gone to a spiritual authority, and we've done this again. After you've done that, if they still haven't responded, what does it say? It says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. How would a Jew treat a pagan or a tax collector? Number four, avoid them. Avoid them. Okay? Now, here's the pattern. This is what Jesus is teaching us when it comes to relationships. This is what he's teaching when it talks about how do we deal with things. When someone sins, when they sin against you, when they hurt you, when they have done something, whatever it is, in your relationships, this is how Jesus said we should respond. So I'm going to dig into this a little bit further here, okay, and, and help you understand a little bit more. All right, so what is step number one? Step one says go to them. What do we do when somebody hurts us when they do something? Oftentimes, we start with number four. We avoid them. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to wrestle with this. I don't want to have anything to do with this person. I, I, I want to stay away. That's our natural inclination. And I'm going to say this because I've done a study. No, I haven't. I've done a study and it says that 95% of your relationship problems would be solved if you would just go to the person and deal with it. Okay. I don't know what the percentage is, but most relationship problems that you have, most issues are going to be dealt with if you would actually approach a person, if you would go talk to them. The problem is that we skip step one most of the time, okay? So it says, number one, we go to them. Number two, what do we do? Bring a second party and go to them. Now, why would we do this? Oftentimes, it's for support. We need some support in our life. We need another voice in the situation. But oftentimes, you simply have a third party who is mildly separated from the circumstance. They're less emotionally involved and able to help there be kind of conversation. Why do, a lot of times, why is counseling such a helpful thing? I know Jeff's a professional counselor. Honestly, a lot of times what a counselor merely is able to do is, is help be the cool head in the room to help two people have a conversation. That's oftentimes what takes place. 
And so that's, those are the things that can be brought when we actually bring somebody along with us to have that conversation, okay? Third thing is this, bring a spiritual authority and go to them. We've done all the other things. They haven't responded well. They haven't, re- they haven't been either repentant. They haven't responded well to whatever you have brought to them. We come to a spiritual authority. Now, why would you do that? Why would you, Greg, that seems really weird. Why would we bring somebody else in? Because oftentimes, especially in the context of a spiritual community, the, the spiritual authority, a pastor, a leader like that, there's some sense of a mutual respect for this leader. And there's a, t- there's a greater opportunity for there to actually be a conversation that takes place that goes well, that is healthy. Hopefully, it's someone who can bring some wisdom to the circumstance, help breathe some life into the circumstance. And what I want you to notice through this pattern, okay? I'm, I told you I'm giving you a pattern. I'm giving you a checklist here this morning. What you notice here is that this conversation at this point is still not widespread. This hasn't been a conversation with 50 people. This has been a conversation with four, five people at most. And it's a very focused conversation with the intent of what? Restoration. See, the purpose of every one of these conversations is for restoration in the relationship. That something positive happens. Not to try and tear the relationship down. Not to try and destroy. Not to try and hurt the person. But to bring something to them because God wants to do something better in their life than what they're currently experiencing. That is what the purpose is. And so if you have taken these steps, you've gone through the checklist, right? I've gone through the three things, okay? No good response. It's a horrible response. There's no repentance in the heart. There's no help. There's none of those things. What do we take? Step number four, avoid them. Avoid them. Now, when we get to this point, it reminds me of like the weirdest verse that Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. And some of you maybe have read this before and you're like, what in the world is Jesus saying here? Matthew chapter seven, verse six. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw away your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Everybody got that? Okay. Like what, is, what is he saying in this section? You notice this verse comes, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's following when the message two weeks ago when Micah talked about the whole idea of a plank in the eye and going to talk to somebody and deal with people who have sin in their lives. This is the verse, and what he's saying here is, listen, there are some people that you're going to get to a point where you realize there's nothing I can do here. You ever met someone like that? You've done everything. As scripture says this, as far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. That's what Scripture says. And sometimes you will do everything you possibly can to live at peace with someone, and they simply won't respond in a healthy way. Right? And Jesus says, at that point, there are times where you have to draw a boundary and say, you know what? I'm just going to have to avoid this person. I've done everything that I can. There's nothing else more that I can do until they have a heart of repentance. There's no way I can solve this problem. And some of you say, but, but that's not loving. Well, Jesus said you can do that as long as you've walked through steps one through three. The issue is that a lot of times we don't take the whole plan, okay? The pattern here, if I was going to sum up the pattern or the major theme in Jesus' words, it's three words that we see in the first three steps. It's this, go to them. Something happens. Someone sins. Someone sins against you. Someone hurts you. What is this first step? We go to them. We go to them. Then we get someone else and go to them. If we need to, we go to a spiritual authority and go to them. But the goal is to go to them. It sounds really, really simple, really, really easy. But let's be honest, a lot of us screw this one up on a regular basis. We mess this one up. The way that oftentimes we respond, hear me, every one of you, teenagers, adults, seniors alike, it does not matter. Here's the way we do. Someone hurts us. They do something wrong. What is the first step? We avoid them. 
We start with number four. We avoid them. And then after, more than just avoiding, what do we do? Rather than talking to them, what do we do? We go talk about them with other people. And then after we've talked about them with some other people, what do we do? We go find more people to go talk about them to. And we go share because it makes us feel better. And well, I'm going to go talk a bunch of people. That's great. And some of you, this is experience, and I just want you to know this very clearly because some of you have come to me at this moment, and I want you to know I'm not talking to you because there's lots of you that have done this in the past. Number four, people will go to a spiritual authority and complain about them. And if you've ever come to me to complain about something that someone's done or something said, any of those kind of things, if you've ever had that moment, you know my very first words is, whoop, 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 stop. Have you talked to them yourself? If the answer is no, I'm done having a conversation. Until you're willing to go have the conversation with somebody, I'm not going to get involved. And why is that? What does that do? Because if I get involved immediately or you get someone else involved right away, guess what happens? You've just now expanded the net of people that know what's going on. You've, beyond what it needed to be. It could have been just the two of you dealing with a problem. But now it's you two and everybody you've talked to that gets involved. And that jades everyone view of the situation. It turns toxic really, really fast. Okay? That happens in a church. Sometimes happens like that. They come to me. Oh, no, no, no. Do not talk to me until you have gone and talked to them. Will I engage? Absolutely. If there's an issue, I'm glad to jump in. It's not that I'm afraid of engaging. The fact is I want to do this as healthy and as scripturally as we possibly can every single time. And it will destroy if we don't. Okay, this same thing happens in families. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember you got that, that person in your family that like everybody's afraid to confront? Nobody ever wants to talk to them about it? So then what do you do as a family? You get around and talk about it? Everybody just talks about the crazy person. Nobody ever deals with that person. Nobody ever says what needs to be said. But we're all just going to get and talk about it. And you know what happens when that happens? Like it just gets jaded and toxic. The culture gets gross and it feels icky. But you know, nobody wants to deal with the problem in the room. There's a big old elephant sitting there, but nobody wants to deal with it. The same thing happens in offices. You ever been a part of an office where there's the one person who just does stuff and nobody ever wants to deal with it? And it just gets toxic. It gets awful. Everybody's sitting talking about everybody else, but nobody will actually have the conversation that needs to be had. It destroys. That's what it does. Okay? Now, why do we walk around and why do we have a tendency to go want to talk to other people rather than deal with the circumstance? I think there's a number of reasons. Number one, it just kind of is a release. It's a release valve. We've got this thing of like, I just want to talk about it. I just got to get this off of my chest, right? And I get that. We all would love to be able to get stuff off our chest. That's great. There's enough things that we carry in life. The problem is, I said, when we are getting something off of our chest to be able to go tell a whole bunch of other people, you know what it does? It's now just made things more difficult. It's made it more complicated. It's made it harder to have the restoration, which is the goal that Christ is teaching us here, okay? The goal is restoration. That's the hope. Okay, the same thing, uh, I think sometimes we tell other people because it makes us just feel better to tear somebody else down. We don't say that, you know, out loud, but that's how we feel, you know. You got the, the lady on your block who's got the nice car and the nice house. She's like, she's got all the stuff and she does something dumb. You make sure, hey, everybody, hey, girls, did you hear what, hear what Susie over there did? No, I didn't. I know she's got the nice car and everything. You don't believe what she just did. You have no idea what just took place. Like, oh, getting all excited. Why are you telling them that? Because it makes you feel better. You think she's got a pretty life? No, she messes up too. It makes you feel better to be able to acknowledge that to other people. Is that a, a healthy reason to be telling other people something? No. Is that going to lead to a greater chance for restoration in that circumstance? No. 
but it'll make you feel better for a moment. Sometimes we think it makes us look better to be able to knock someone else down and be able to talk about the problems that are going on. Right? It makes us look better. Does it really do that? No. In fact, if somebody comes and wants to tell me things like that, it actually lowers my view of the person who's telling it to me right now. Because I know this is a person that has no ability to hold a confidence. And they don't have wisdom about the way, things that they talk about and the way that they address things. So this is what Jesus is kind of getting at with us here, okay? Hear this. This type of behavior is what Scripture refers to as gossip. You know, gossip, right? And I want to tell you this very clearly. Gossip kills. Okay? Gossip kills. It kills everything you love if you engage in gossip. All right? Gossip kills offices. Kills offices. It will kill families. It will kill friendships. I have watched this. And gossip will kill marriages. Okay? What do I mean? How do you gossip in a family or in a marriage? Husband and wife have an issue. And what happens? Rather than talking to one another, what do they do? Go talk to somebody else about it. It will kill your marriage. Okay? But it will also kill churches. Gossip will kill churches. We take this whole topic very seriously as a church. Some of you, if you've ever encountered me on this one, you know this. Uh, we just take it really seriously. And I would say this. I've warned church members this before, that, that the uh, fastest way uh, to an unpleasant conversation with me or Amber is to begin gossiping. It's the fastest way for, uh, for us to get a meeting that you're not going to be excited about. Why is that? Because we will not allow gossip to kill this place. Okay. We will do everything we can to stop it. Why? Because we're harsh and we're mean. No, our primary role is to shepherd and protect this flock. Okay, that's our calling. And whatever it takes, and if it means us leaning in and stopping something and cutting something off that is causing problems and killing us, we will do that because it matters too much. Something happened a few years ago, and there's probably only a handful of you that were in that meeting. It's about three years ago. Uh, we uh, voted to change the name of our church. Okay, uh, there was a, we had to have a special business meeting to do this. There was about 90, 95 of us in the room at, the, at that time. And uh, we had to have a special meeting because it's in the bylaws, all this kind of stuff. And so we brought it, we explained the reasoning, why we were doing it, everything that was going on. We took a vote, overwhelming majority said, yep, let's go ahead and do that. We made the chain change. We officially became Zoe Church. At the end of that meeting, I stood in front of the church and I said, hey, um, hey, we've taken the vote now. We've already made a decision where we're going. Here's the deal. I expect that I'm not going to hear anybody going and gossiping about this and talking about, well, I didn't like that, and I think this is stupid, and I can't believe we did this. No, no. If you have an issue, you can come talk to me directly, but I expect that we're not going to have those kind of conversations. And if I hear that we're having those kind of conversations, I will come and deal with it. Just be aware, okay? I will not let that destroy our church. I have to protect the, the unity of our church in this decision. We are walking out of the doors together today. That's what I said. And uh, there was a lady, Alice, and uh, was sitting here on the second row, and she had a friend of hers who was a guest who had never been here before. For some reason, she showed up to a business meeting, and she's sitting there the whole time, and I can see her eyes like this while I'm, <laughs> like I'm getting pretty serious for a second. And uh, Alice comes up to me afterwards, and she's like, Greg, yeah, my friend. She was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, your pastor, he's kind of hood. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm so hood. But, um, but I'm like... We're just not going to let that happen. Why? Because it matters. Gossip kills. It destroys. 
and we're not going to let that happen here. And so we have a motto around here as a church, and this is a motto that I believe every believer should operate under, and it's this. We talk to people, not about people. We talk to people, not about people. All of us have been guilty at one time or another in our lives of talking about people, right? We walk around and we, we're talking about this circumstance. We're talking about them and what they did and all this thing. And what, that's just called gossip where we're talking about them, right? Not in a positive way. If they knew we were saying it, they would be really mad at us, but we do it anyway. We talk about it. But as believers, what are we called to? We're called to talk to people. And if, I, if somebody comes to me and is bringing me things, my role as a believer is, is if they begin talking about someone, to stop, 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 you can go talk to them about that. Like as a church, we're supposed to be guarding one another. Like don't let other people in your life function this way because they may be guilty, not because they're doing it on purpose, just because suddenly this is just the way they're engaging. You say, stop, 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 stop. Hey, hey we're gossiping right now. I don't want to do that. Can we, can we talk about something else? Let's d- kind of move the conversation in a different direction. Are you doing it because you're cruel, you're mean? No, you're doing it because you desire health, okay? So I'm gonna get to our big so what. We always say this, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else this morning, I want you to remember this. Unity takes courage. Unity takes courage. Jesus prayed for you specifically. Did you know that? He prayed for you. It's written in scripture that he literally prayed for every single one of us in here. He prayed and he wanted this for your home. He wanted this for your family. He wanted this for your church, for your marriages, for your friendships, for the relationships in your life. You know what he prayed? It's found in John chapter 17. What did he say? He said, my prayer is not for them alone as he was praying for his disciples previously. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We have believed because of the message that the disciples spoke. He says this, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus prayed one thing over us, that we would be unified, that there would be unity within the body of Christ. That's his desire for us. But hear this so clearly. Unity takes courage. Unity takes courage. Unity doesn't happen on accident. Unity in your marriage does not happen on accident. Unity in the church does not happen. Unity in your family does not happen on accident. No, it takes courage. It has to be fought for. It isn't easy. It isn't always the thing you want to do, but it is something that it demands every one of us to engage, and it takes courage. Oftentimes it demands really hard conversations. To experience unity requires things like deep forgiveness. It requires grace. It requires you to do the thing that you don't necessarily want to do. If you want to experience unity, it takes something from you. We know this from life. The, The best things are oftentimes the hard things. The right things are oftentimes the hard things, right? You want to be healthy? You got to eat different food than everybody else does. It's not always fun, but it's the right thing for you. You need to work out. Okay, it's not, it's not easy, but that's the right thing if you want to be healthy. And if you want to have relationships, it requires you to step in sometimes and do the hard thing. You don't get unity by sweeping things under the rug and hoping they go away. And I think a lot of times in our relationships, that's what we do. Just tuck it under the rug. Let's just not go there. 
Let's not deal with that. I've had that conversation before. I'm not going to go there anymore. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, that's not unity. That's passivity. Passivity does not produce unity. It's going to take a step. It takes hard work sometimes. You get unity by having the hard conversation. You get unity by picking up the phone and talking to that person. You get unity by meeting somebody for coffee. You get unity by confronting that thing that maybe you've just not wanted to talk about. It's the only, it's the only path through something. Otherwise, you're just faking it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fake it in life. I just don't. I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, I'm plastic. Nothing about me is real because I just kind of faked the whole thing. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. Unity takes courage. Some people will say, well, Greg, you like having hard conversations because I, as a pastor, I get to have lots of hard conversations. No, I hate confrontation. I just hate disunity more. Okay? This isn't like, hey, I like to do any. You're not going to like these things. None of this is fun. But you got to get to a point where you realize, I hate what this is producing more than what I'm going to have to do in this conversation. And when you get to that point, you'll be willing to take a step that you have to take. Okay? It's a conversation that I, uh, I have at weddings. If you've ever been to a wedding that I've performed... Uh, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I do this at every single wedding that I'm a part of. And uh, there's the moment, you know, there's that moment in the, the ceremony where they're going to do the vows. They got their vows up here, and they're going to say their vows to one another. You got the wedding party up there, you know. And before they do their vow thing, you know, these days, you know, it used to be like, you know, for better or worse, all today, it's like, you're the wind to my whatever. Everybody's like, everybody's like writing their own vows. They're all like, she gushy, I love you, and I will be with you. It's great. It's great. Whatever. You're going to make these vows. It's going to be awesome. This deep moment. And before we do the vow moment, here's what I say. I turn to the wedding party. I say, hey, wedding party, just for a moment, I'm going to talk to you. You're not up here just to be pretty, okay? That's not the reason. You are, you are the ones here to stand. And your job is to listen to what they're about to say. And, uh, and, and there's going to be a time in their marriage where they tick each other off. Right, where he says something dumb or she does something hurtful. There's going to be that moment. And in that moment, they're going to want to turn and come talk to you. And at that time, you're going to want to say, you're right, she is dumb. I can't believe she said that. And the women are going to be like, he's a horrible, I can't believe he did that. That's, the, that's what they're going to want to do. I said, you're going to want to do that, but you're not going to do that. What are you going to do? You're going to remind them of the vows they are making right now. And when they come and want to talk to you and try and get you to just add fuel to fire, you know, stop, stop, stop. Go talk to your husband about this. Go deal with this. Don't sit and gossip about this. Don't just try and get it off your chest and try and, no, no. Deal with the problem. Hold them accountable to that. And this is true for every one of us. Unity requires, it requires us to take hard steps, right? Unity takes courage in our lives. And for some of you right now, in your marriages, you need to take a step. There's something you need to do. For some of you in a friendship that is toxic, you need to do something. For some of you, there's a relationship, even in this room potentially, that's gone sideways. You need to have the conversation. You need to deal with it. There's no other way. You don't sidestep toward unity. You have to walk through the hard thing, and then maybe you can experience it. And as Jesus said, there's no guarantees. You may get to the end of the road... And there's nothing more that you can do. But as far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone.
Now, why is it that I say the, you know, um, Satan doesn't want you to hear this? Because he doesn't want you to have unity in your relationships. What is his job? Steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't create, he just destroys. And so whatever you've got going on in your life, he wants it to be destroyed. Your family, he wants to break it apart. Your marriage, he wants to kill it. Your friendships, he wants to make them toxic. The cultures that you exist in, your offices, you know, wherever you're at, he wants to ruin those things. That's his desire. And he knows one of the greatest tools the enemy will use is to rather than deal with problems and confront problems, let's go just talk to everybody else about it. And Jesus says, no, I'll give you another path forward. It's a better path. It's one that will produce life rather than death. Okay? So I want to close with a, a very specific challenge. Okay? This is a very, very specific challenge for you. There's two steps for it. Okay? The first one is this. Where do you need to lean in? Do it. Is there a relationship you need to lean into? Is there a circumstance you need to lean into? You've been avoiding it. I don't want to go there. Would God say, you know what? You need to lean into this circumstance. And I would give you this recommendation. If you're like, ah, oh, man, there's a conversation I need to have, and I'm not even sure. I have somebody I need to confront, and I don't even know how to do that. If you were uh, missed two weeks ago, Pastor Micah uh, shared a really good uh, process of, of how to approach someone. He gave kind of four steps in approaching someone. So I would encourage you to go back and check that out. It was on the back half of that message from two weeks ago. But here it is. Some of you right now, you know that person. You know the circumstance. You know what it is, and you've been avoiding it. My challenge you, would you lean in? Would you say, God, I'm going to do what's difficult because unity takes courage. And I don't want to live in, in toxic culture anymore. Okay? The second one is just as important. Where do you need to shut up? Do it. Because there may be a circumstance that you keep talking about that you have no part in. And all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. All you're doing is making things worse. You're not breathing life. You're not interested in restoration. In fact, you're kind of rejoicing in the fact that things are going sideways. Jesus says, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. You're not helping anybody. And maybe it is, God, would you teach us? Would you teach us how can I have maturity as a believer? This whole principle, if you ever hear, hear me refer to Matthew 18, this is what I'm talking about. This moment. This principle here on Matthew 18 is one of the most important principles that I think we can, if applied to our lives and our relationships, actually has the potential to breathe life and health into relationships. But oftentimes we miss it and it destroys whatever we engage in, okay? And so I want to take a moment. I want us to pray. I want us to have a moment together, but I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we close together. Father, we thank you so much that you're in... Uh, you see us in all the junk and all the stuff we deal with. And the good news is you knew how messed up this world is. That's why you sent Christ to redeem and restore and to do what we can never do on our own behalf. We thank you for that, Lord. But God, we also know that you have a desire for us to do something better and to walk differently than everybody else does. And so, God, we first start in a position of repentance. I know there's many of us in here that if we're honest and if the Spirit of God may be prompting even right now that there are situations where we definitely have been the ones talking about and not talking to. 
We've been the ones sharing and talking and gossiping and tearing other people down because it makes us feel better or because it just is a release in some way. But God, we acknowledge what that is. That is sin. And God, we just repent of that sin. Not just asking for forgiveness and walking out the door and keep doing it. God, we repent, which means we ask forgiveness and then we turn and we're gonna go a different way. So God, I pray that you would help us to live differently. God, that our relationships would be healthy things. God, that the way that we interact with others would be healthy, God. God, would you help us? Lord, I pray uh, for those in this room, God, right now, that you're, you're putting names in their hearts right now people that they need to have a conversation. Maybe it's someone who they see they're caught in sin right now and they just haven't been willing to say anything. God, you're gonna give them the courage to lean in. For others that they've had a broken relationship somewhere and you're gonna ask them to take a step and, and begin a conversation. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them peace in their hearts, Lord Jesus? And then God, I pray. Uh, God, I pray for those who maybe are at a place where they recognize, you know what, I don't know that I need to have a conversation right now. What I need to do is I need to shut my mouth. God, I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident in our lives. God, would you fill us with the fruit of your Spirit? And one of those things is self-control. God, I pray that we would gain strength in our ability to control our tongue, Lord. God, that we would speak life and not death, that we would speak hope and not destruction, God. God, may our lives flow with the hope of Christ, God. God, I pray there would be a maturity about the way that we relate to others. God, that our, our mouths would speak that, Lord, we pray. And God, I pray as we walk out of these doors today, God, that you would help us not to just kind of say, oh, that was cute, that was a nice little thing, move on with life. God, I pray that our interactions with people for the rest of our lives would look different. God, that we wouldn't talk about, that we would choose to talk to, that we would pursue restoration. Because the gospel is there to restore. The gospel is there to redeem. And we believe and we are trusting that you can do the supernatural, the things that don't even make sense to us. God, we believe that you can do that. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward at this time. If there's any of you who came in this morning, you need prayer for something, I'd encourage you to come forward, receive prayer. Um, thank you so much for having a little grace today with all the hiccups and all those kind of things. But I genuinely believe this is the one to live. This is not the one just to put in a notepad somewhere. So would we walk out the doors? Would we pursue unity? And would we see God do amazing things in our lives and our relationships? Amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great week.